Hello, everyone. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Sends Hour podcast. We got a whole new rebrand. I hope you've all seen the look and have enjoyed the look so far. It was definitely fun creating the logos. I think they look a lot better than they did before. But with that, it also means that we will be releasing some merch for for the podcast within the next like month or so. So keep an eye out for that. But as always, before we jump into things, official word from our official sponsor, DraftKings. Two uh, most respected fighters sit back in the ring, the, uh, the Octagon, this weekend to compete for the welterweight title. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of UFC, is giving you a huge shot for huge cash prizes for this weekend's fight. DraftKings is offering new players a shot at a million dollars in total prizes. If you haven't tried it yet, it's a lot like the NHL fantasy. Six players have to be under the salary cap. You get points for advances, takedowns, and more. And if you're you know new or Seasoned MMA, great place to get going, play, great place to start. And again, if it's, uh, you know, if MMA isn't your thing, you have hockey, you have basketball, and more money to be able to grab for the more things to do, use promo code THPN for a free shot at a million dollars. Download the app today and use promo code THPN. And obviously, customized sports, head on over. You send our promo code for, uh, for 10% off your order at customizedsports.com. Now, with that being all done, you know, we got some big news today. Uh, Anisimov was sent down, which I think a lot of us mm-hmm. were relatively surprised about. And we were all expecting something, and then the complete opposite happened. And everyone was like, damn, that kind of sucked. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know what to think. I'm not surprised. But, yeah, Logan Brown was sent back down to Belleville because they're playing this weekend. Yes. What's your take on the whole situation? Um, you know, at first I was actually a little bit reactive and then I, uh, listened to Pierre Dorian's comments and that, uh, it seems as though they're just sending him down for a little bit of a conditioning stint, if you will, just to get him ready for, uh, for, you know, calling him back up to the NHL. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a yo-yo situation with, uh, Logan Brown. He's, he's called up, he's sent down, he's called up, he's sent down. Um, you know, you heard Bruce Garriock's comments too, uh, in between the horns there, I think in the first, uh, intermission, just maybe touching on the fact that Ottawa is interested in trading Logan Brown. Uh, I would at least like to see what we got in Logan Brown this year before, um, entertaining a trade. Yeah. I mean, I think it's not necessarily they want to trade Logan Brown. I think it's just, you look at who's down, who is down our middle, you know, Norris, Pinto, Colin White has looked, you know, like the Colin White we all expected. Is there really room for Brown in Ottawa's organization? You know, with, with Seattle, uh, you know, coming coming into the league next year, there might be a team that wants to offload a contract to protect somebody, or they may be willing to part with somebody to create cap space. Logan Brand might be part of that package, but I don't think it's necessarily Ottawa wanting to like trade him. It's just more of if the right deal comes into place, they're not hesitant to trade him. He's not a deal breaker. Yeah, for sure. And and he hasn't done anything to become sort of a deal breaker, I guess, at this stage, um, at least yet in the NHL. But you could also make an argument that he hasn't really been given a consistent opportunity in the NHL. Um, so if Ottawa is entertaining a trade, I would like to at least um, have give him a chance to up his trade value, I guess. You know, let's see what this uh, what this kid could do when he's playing with someone like Tim Stutzla. 
Uh, let's see what he could do on the power play because, you know, even Sens management will tell you that Logan Brown is probably one of their best power play players. Um, so, you know, I'd like to see him get 10 to 20 games and increase that trade value if they're going to trade him. Yeah, 100%. And I think, from my understanding, it sounds like they plan on having him up sometime next week against Toronto. Uh, I wouldn't play him against Toronto. Honestly, I'd wait until they're home and play him at home. Uh, I think we play like Montreal or, or Winnipeg again. Or is it Van- like Vancouver's our next home game or something like that, I believe, or Calgary? Uh, I'd much rather him play on, at home. Yeah, our next home game is against Montreal. It's in yeah. like two, it's in like next Sunday. So, the, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be okay with him playing in that one over playing in Mon- in Toronto, but we have a back to back against Toronto next week. So maybe some fresh bodies. Another uh, on the opposite side of that, you know, Brandstrom gets hurt. Yeah. Like we're going to talk about the Edmonton stuff later, but man, that's devastating. That was, that one was really tough because Brandstrom came in and he was really, really good for Ottawa in those couple of games. He looks like an NHL player and he took a, a hard hit. And I noticed the hit when he took the hit, um, but he played through it. Like he played the rest of the game. So I don't think anyone was anticipating the injury. And, you know, sure enough, he's out seven to 10 days with uh, with an upper body injury. So uh, in comes Christian Willannon off the IR. So uh a, a bit more movement there for Ottawa. I thought Brandstrom was outstanding. I thought uh, it was really encouraging seeing Eric Brandstrom run the power play. It, it looks like the player that you acquired in the Mark Stone trade. Uh, and I even made a comment that we we might be not, uh, we may not be crying for too much longer uh, about the Mark Stone trade if this is the Eric Brandstrom we're going to start to see. Yeah, and I think it kind of also plays off the, the rumor how DJ doesn't like Branstrom. I never got the indication that he never he didn't like Branstrom. I always had the indication that he just wanted to make sure that he was ready for the NHL and that he wouldn't get, you know, physically beat up game in and game out. And that there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, it's definitely a hard pill to swallow when uh we have Brand like we we Branstrom's in, he's playing so well, he gets hurt. Which means Landon gets in, which is fine because he had a really good game the other night. But we lost Branstrom, and it kind of follows into the news with Riley. You know, the last couple of games, Riley and Zub have been outstanding, arguably our best pairing mm-hmm. defensively. Is Riley kind of just making sure that he's he he knows his time in Ottawa is numbered? I think everyone can agree that he when Branstrom is back he's most likely the guy who's going to be gone. Yeah, but there's rumors suggesting that, but we'll see. Does it not make it harder to trade a guy like that when you see how well he's been playing with a guy like Zub? Look, I've been saying for the past couple of days, and I'm going to take heat for it, and I know that, and that's okay. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know that Christian Willannon is the Christian Willannon that we remember from the 2018-19 season before the injury. Um, at the end of that season, it looked like he was going to solidify himself as a top four defenseman in the NHL. And then he got that brutal injury. He was out for a full season almost. Um, and he hasn't looked the same. And yes, he looked good yesterday to an extent, but he didn't look Mike Riley good, which is really weird to say at this stage because it wasn't so long ago. It was maybe a week or two weeks ago that we were calling Mike Riley the next Cody Cece. And, you know, everyone was voting him off the island. But 
Mike Riley looks like, to me, he looks like the Senators' best defenseman right now. And that's saying something because they have Thomas Shabbat um, and they have Artem Zub, who's like playing out of his mind, especially if you look at the analytics. Um, but Mike Riley, as a two-way defenseman, defensively and offensively, he's skating really well. Um, he's moving the puck extremely well. You've seen that breakout pass that he sent Dadanov, um, you know, screaming up the ice. It was it was beautiful, and he's not making a bad decision out there. So to me, if this is the Mike Riley that if he could sustain this play, I do not want to trade Mike Riley. I would sooner trade Christian Willannon, who you don't really know if he can return to that same form. And even if he does, he's a much more offensive-minded guy versus a guy who's a little bit good at both ends ends of the ice. I agree. It's, it's going to be an interesting thing because I feel like with his uh, – with the way Mike Riley's playing is that he could really uh, – what's the word? Confuse players, like confuse teams – yeah, well, teams aren't game planning against Mike Riley. <laughs> like he's he's not there yet. But all of a sudden, he makes that stretch pass and he makes those plays that we saw. And it's like, where did that come from? That's the thing is that we traded a fifth and like uh, a Belleville player, uh, uh, Andrew Sturtz, for him. If a team is offering a second round pick for Mike Riley, yeah. you take it because you know he's twenty seven. He's kind of been around. Do you really think he's going to be around next year? Probably not. And if he is, what kind, like, is he on another one-year deal? You know, he could be a guy that goes to Seattle if Seattle's looking for a depth guy. Like with Willandon being under team control next year, I think it's more plausible we see Mike Riley traded, especially if a team. It's like Pajot, right? The Islanders gave us a deal. That, you couldn't say no. No, yeah. like Pajot. There's no way Pajot is worth a first-round pick. No. There's no way, really, if you look at any other season or early in the year, Mike Riley is worth a second-round pick. But if a team is willing to to trade you that, you take it. Yeah, you're in a position where you, you have to take that. If that's actually the case and someone's desperate enough to pay you a second for Mike Riley – um, in that, in that case, I would, uh, you know, I would back down from the comments that I just made and I would easily say, yeah, uh, you could take Mike Riley and we'll, we'll take that second round pick that we gave away for, uh, Derek Stepan. <laughs> yeah. And that's another, another big news is it sounds like he hasn't formally asked for a trade that they haven't, like they may have had discussions about it, but he's, he hasn't been like, yeah, I would like to be traded. It might've been one of those things where like, you know, if it's not a right fit and we can find a deal, we'll do it. But it doesn't yeah. seem like either teams, like neither party's in a rush to, to move on. Yeah. And that's what they said yesterday. They're in no rush, but it's much like the Riley thing. If a team is desperate enough and willing to pay you and for step on, it's probably willing to pay you anything. Cause he's, he comes with a $6.5 million um, cap hit. So that's not easy for teams to take on, especially teams that are going to be contending this year. So if someone's willing to give you anything for Derek Stepan, you're probably going to jump on that. But at this point in time, uh, my assumption is that the Senators are not getting any takers or any biters on uh, Derek Stepan being on the trade market. So they're putting out to the media that, well, we're not in no in, in any rush anyway. And, you know, they're probably going to say the right things. We really like the player. He's a very useful veteran player. Um, and it's strictly a family thing. But I think the feelings are mutual. I think Stepan doesn't like 
the situation in Ottawa and Ottawa doesn't really like what they see from Derek Stepan. Yeah. I mean, neither of them have really, you know, Stepan hasn't, Stepan hasn't lived up to the uh, middle of the pack expectations. that I think we all kind of put out for him, you know, he did cut. It sounded like he came in with confidence, but you know, that, that can go really quickly. I don't know if him and DJ are on a rocky relationship. That's so far like out. Most people don't even know what's going on with that. But, you know, let's move into the actual two games. We've lost three in a row since the win against Montreal on Thursday. Yeah. All three of the wins, all three of the losses were winnable. Ottawa has has scored four goals in three games. And, yes, Hogberg, two bad goals yesterday. But sometimes the players need to bail out the goalie just as much as the goalies need to bail out the players sometimes. It's a two-way street. And our offense just isn't there. We're getting chances, just not there. Yeah, they they can't score goals right now. And, I mean, you can't say they haven't tried because uh, they piled up the shots, especially last game against the Oilers. They absolutely pounded them in the third period. Actually, probably the midway point of the game, they were just dominating. And they could not buy a goal. It was like, you know, the, the puck just has, there's some kind of force field behind the net, and it's just not going in. And uh, it, it's just bad puck luck right now uh, for the most part. But yeah, Hogberg, I mean, he surrendered two really, really ugly goals and it cost them the game. And those are stoppable pucks. They have to be stopped. Um, the positive is that Matt Murray came in and Matt Murray looks like he's completely turned his season around. Yeah, which I mean, it's great. Again, it's hard to win games when you're expecting your goaltender to only allow a goal or less a game. You know, and, and that's the thing I have with how like, we scored two goals against, you know, the first game against Edmonton, the last game against Montreal, and then we scored two against Koskinen, which, you know, take away the two bad goals should have been enough to win the game. But we cannot, we can't bank on our goaltenders to let in fewer than two goals a game on a consistent basis. That's just unrealistic. No team is going to have that in any given year. And, it's, it's unfortunate because Murray played great the last two games he was in. He played great in relief of Hogberg. And our, our scoring just couldn't couldn't do it. And it's unfortunate because, you know, Dynanoff finally gets on the board with his own goal, like an actual goal that he was able to shoot the puck in. Wasn't Didn't need Adam any Larson's, <laughs> Adam uh, Larson's beautiful snipe. Or, you know, a lucky goal that squeaks by Hellebuck. And I think this is the thing that I have with people who are – you know, shitting hard on Hogberg right now. Pretty sure Hellebuck let in a goal from the opposing blue line to Chris Tanev against Calgary. He let in that bad goal against, you know, Ottawa for Dadanoff. Like, goalies that allow bad goals. It happens. You know, the, the, the problem, though, Shane, is that it's happening every single time he's in the net right now. He's oh, just he's out of position, and it's it's costing the Senators the game. But going back to what you said, you have to have run support as well. So, yeah. I mean, like you can't expect to win one nothing or 2-1 to one in this league. So it, it's a two-way street, like you said. Yeah, like it's unfortunate because he has looked shaky, and I don't know what's going on. Maybe he needs to go back to last year's summer. Maybe he needs to go back to 35 Get that 35 mojo back. But it's the curse. It's the number. <laughs> yeah. You know, you don't change it. Once you're solidified in the NHL, you do not change your number. Like, and I, I know I've been saying that, oh, you know, Shabbat could have changed to five because that's what he warned Junior and whatnot. He's solidified. 
you don't change your number when you're solidified. Unless you absolutely have to, you don't change your number. And again, you know, and here's the thing. If Hogberg or if Murray goes in tomorrow night against Winnipeg, or yeah, against Winnipeg, mm-hmm. and they score, I don't care what the actual score is. I don't care if it's 4-1, 5-1, 6-1. If they only score one more, if they only score one goal or two or, or two, I'll be mad because our offense needs to start producing to start winning. Yeah, you're not going to win games by scoring one goal every game, like we we just alluded to. Um, the goaltending, I mean, at least we have our starter now that's playing really, really well um, and giving his team a chance to win. And now it's it's you know it's polar opposite from where we started the season where we couldn't get a save and it was really the offense that was holding us in games and some games were just flat out blowouts but uh, but for the games that they were in it was because they were able to produce offensively a little bit it didn't last very long but uh, but the offense has been a struggle all season long um, the power play didn't even really look good yesterday um, two of the players that were really hoping for um, you know, really, really high futures to me are really struggling right now. And that's Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris. And uh, I know that's not something that Sens fans want to even address because even saying something like that or even remotely suggesting that a, a player like Stutzla is struggling on social media is going to uh, yield an attack <laughs> from most people. Um, but I'm not saying that he's a bust. What I'm saying is that he's really struggling to compete and I think the legs are maybe slowing down on him a little bit. And with Josh Norris, he's been invisible for the last handful of games. Yeah, and I mean, to add to that, you also have, you know, Drake Batherson, who has been, you know, contributing. Like, if you you can notice him on the ice. He, unlike Norris, he has been very noticeable. Yeah. Uh, I said this on Twitter. There's nothing wrong with taking a young guy out of the lineup allowing him to sit in the press box for a game, take a night off. Oh, excuse me. Get an entire, you know, view of the ice, see what you're not seeing on the ice and then be. Oh, and we lost Shane. I, I believe he's, oh, he's back. There you go. I think he's talking about uh, the comments from Bruce Garriock in regard to uh, perhaps the senators looking at sitting Drake Batherson. So go on Shane. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. There's there's nothing wrong with that mentality because sometimes these kids do need a break. You know, it's a whole different level of competition. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, you know what? We're going to give you the night off. Go into the press box. Take a bird's eye view of everything. You'll be back in the game, like the lineup next game. As long as they understand that, hey, we're just giving you a night off. This isn't, you know, permanent. We're not going to bend. Like, this isn't a healthy scratch to be because you're playing bad or whatever, if they understand that, hey, we're going to give you a night off, go up, see things from a bird's eye view, you'll be reinserted into the lineup next game, I think it's it's beneficial to a young player. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Logan Brown in sometime next week with Paul and Batherson and Norris coming out of the lineup for yeah. a game. Yeah, that, that would be my assumption as well. Um, yeah, going back to your comment on Batherson... Um, you know, my only takeaway from that was that he should not be the guy coming out. If you're looking at a young player that's kind of struggling right now, that's, um, you know, really, really struggling. I would, I would look at Josh Norris. I would look at Tim Stutzla. You know, if, if those are the players that you're scratching for a game to kind of look at things and, and just take a night off, um, to me, that would be, you know, my pick, um, 
more so with Josh Norris. I think away from Brady Kachuk, he's really struggling. Um, but going back to like Ian Mendez's comments um, on uh, one of the posts that he made for the athletic at the beginning of the season, when we were all hung up on kind of line combinations and trying to optimize the senator's lineup, um, he, he mentioned that this team would probably be best fit if uh, DJ Smith was able to create a lineup where he has tandems up front. So he has, you know, one player playing with another player that could drive the line. So I really do feel like Brady Kachuk and Josh Norris need to stay together. And I know recently they've been split up uh, and Tim Stutzla needs a Drake Batherson, who's a player that's, you know, he's an above average Corsi player. He could drive a line. He really needs to be with a player like that. And, and I was kind of dumbfounded by putting Stutzla and Norris together with Watson. I thought that was just an awful combination up front. It didn't last all game. He eventually put Batherson there. But uh, but they really do need to consider keeping a couple of players together to develop some chemistry. A hundred percent. I mean, it's very common for coaches to split lines up when players are feeling hot to kind of help jumpstart other players. For me, I would love to see, and I mean, it is doable because we've seen it before. Kachuk move over to the right side, put Stitzel on the left and have Norris in the middle. I think that'd be it for, just for a game. You know, you could take Watson out for a game, even though he's played, you know, relatively well. You know, I have nothing negative to say about Austin Watson. You put him into a, a situation where, hey, this is our top line. You put Stutzel with playmakers and and Kachuk and Norris, who can drive the help drive the play. Our second line w- could easily be Galchenyuk, White, and Batherson. You know, I think that would be a, a really solid second line. Third line, you know, you got Paul Tierney or Paul White and Dadanoff. If you really want to do a third line, fourth line uh, would be. You'd have I- Watson left. You'd have Tierney left, and you would have. Did you use Galchenyuk? Yeah, you got my second line. Uh, I mean, I guess since you're, it'd be like Connor Brown, Austin Watson, oh, right. and Chris Tierney. Right, you'd have to swap because you swapped one of the positions. Yeah. So you'd have to throw Brown on his offside or Paquette. Oh God, if no. we, yeah. If we really, <laughs> if we really want to, but getting back to the Edmonton game, you know, the Edmonton series, we held I think McDavid to one point, yeah, and and Drysdale to two points, and that was both in the first game. Their 10-game point streak ended the other night against Ottawa. They had some empty net chances. They couldn't capitalize. That's a, That must be a – I know we're tired of talking about silver linings, but that's a that must be a huge confidence boost to this team, knowing like, hey, we could shut down the team's best players if we want to. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's – you know, we have to talk about silver linings this season because that might be all we have, and, and that's going to keep us – going through the season. So, you know, when you're looking at the guys who are shutting the big players down consistently, I mean, we're looking at that Riley and Zub pairing um, and we're looking at the Paul White and Dadnov line that really, really drove the offense for, uh, for Ottawa through much of the last couple of games. And that's, that's a huge sign. I mean, McDavid's only point came on an empty net. I mean, just let that resonate for a minute. That that's an impressive feat for a, an Ottawa senators team who, is widely regarded as the the worst team in the NHL. Yeah, and I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy to think that they, it wasn't like they didn't get any points. They were relatively invisible for most of the game. You know, if you really, if you really, outside of the power play opportunities they had, which were 
in the second game very little. They had some offensive pressure, but overall, the course of the game, they were relatively quiet in both games. Yeah, it's, it's amazing what playing with puck possession will do for the opposition. I mean, it doesn't really matter who you're playing against, but if you have the puck on your stick most of the game, I mean, the other players, the opposition isn't going to look nearly as good because they're chasing the game. And, you know, for much of the first few games that Ottawa was really struggling, they were the ones chasing the game. But in the last handful of games, they've been taking it to the opposition. But, you know, the problem is finished. They just can't get anything finished, really. And that's the biggest problem right now. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing. And before we get into the good, the bad, and the ugly of this series, what do we think of 16 versus 16 and then 44 versus 44? And I believe it was the first game against Edmonton, which actually knocked Cajun out of the second game and the remainder of the first game. Back-to-back fights, same numbers. Both 63s also scored. That was just a fluky game. And what what's your what is your opinion on the two fights? Because uh, personally, I know the first one I had no real interest in. There was nothing. There wasn't really much of a fight, but the good Branson and Cajun yeah. fight was the big one. Yeah, that was a brawl. That was awesome, and it looked like the fight was over. And then they got back up and they kept fighting even more. And then, of course, Zach Cassian uh, out with an injury. Uh, I think it was a carryover from the previous time these these two teams met and played each other. And I remember talking about that in our uh, preview before uh, this series, uh, talking about Brady Kachuk jawing with um, Zach Cassian and Zach Cassian mentioning something about Brady's brother. So there was there was definitely some heat involved. I called it the Battle of Altario. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was a fun way to start the series with uh, with a couple of fights. And the second one was a really good fight. It was fun. I had no problem with it. I thought it was good. Yeah, I I thought the fights were great. I'm happy it wasn't Kachuk versus Kajan. Oh, uh, yeah. Because that could have turned into a bloodbath real quick. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? We're going to jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, you can either do both games if you want, or you can do the good for game one and the good for game two. I'll let that be. I'll let that decide. You can decide which one you want to do. But let's start with the good. What is your good? Oh man, the good has to be Zub Nation. And I know we're calling them Zub now, but Zub Nation sounds stupid. So so we're calling it Zub Nation. And uh, that's the good, man. This guy has come out of nowhere. And right now in the entire NHL, he's the second best Corsi player in the entire NHL. Is that, that just five on five? Five on five, Corsi numbers, Artem Zub or Zub, whatever you want to call him. He is the the second best Corsi defenseman in the NHL. And wow, I mean, this guy was a healthy scratch for the first part of the season. And he's come in and he's stabilized the D. And the D looks totally different with Zub in the lineup. Unbelievable. That's the good. Yeah, I mean, I don't I'm not necessarily upset with him being benched. You know, language barrier, you know, he has to get used to North American ice. There is no preseason. So, you know, he has to have some practice. I feel like if we threw him, if he was thrown into the fire right into the season, he would not look as good as he does now. My only worry is he's, is he, he's either going to be a real thing, like a real, you know, Gonchar-like or Volchenkov-like player for Ottawa, or he's going to be Zaitsev 2.0, have a really good first season, get big money, 
and then regress a little bit. Except the thing is with Zaitsev, even when he had a really good offensive season, the underlying numbers were always bad. So with Zub, the underlying numbers are extremely good. And it's small it's, sample size. It's it's an extremely small sample size. So we have to take it with a grain of salt. But watching the game, you could tell how smart he is, um, how well he reads plays. His puck movement is good. He's poised with the puck. There's a lot to like about number two in Ottawa. Yeah, probably the first time we can say that in a while. And like <laughs> I said last episode, we could have four guys on their respective Olympic teams, both like Zaitsev, depending on what happens with the expansion draft, obviously, because if Zaitsev's in Seattle, then it doesn't matter. But yeah, we could have four players on the Olympic team in the current state that we're in. And that's crazy to me. If we can have four Olympic-type players on our blue line, and to think that, hey, by 2026... Bernard Docker could be in the discussion as well as Lassie Thompson, as well as Jake Sanderson. Mm -hmm. Like our, our blue, our blue line has the potential to be filled with Olympic and all-star quality players. And that's terrifying in a very good way. <laughs> yes. I mean, until you have to start paying them and then yeah, <laughs> you're going to have to start picking and choosing who you want to keep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's four guys. You got to have a top four, and then the other two defensemen just have to kind of keep pace, um, but don't have to necessarily add what the top four is going to add you. Yeah, basically. So, so going back to the good, um, what do you have, Shane, for the good from uh, from the series? For me, it's the five on five play. Hmm. We have been relatively bad five on five. You know, both games, they, they should have had a better fate in both games. They they consistently drove the play. They had good Corsi numbers. They you It always seemed like they had the puck on their slate. They were creating offense. They had 42 shots against Koskinen the other night. I think they had, like, almost over 30 against Smith. Like They deserved a better fate. They just didn't get the puck, like, puck luck. So, personally, for both games, it, it has to be their five-on-five -five offensive zone pressure that – you know, you compare it to the last meeting in Edmonton, it was garbage. Mm. So that for me, that that's the good easily. Absolutely. And switching over to the negative stuff, the bad for me, the bad um, from that series. Um, I'm going with uh, with Hogberg because it's it's consistent bad play. If this was a one off, if this was one game, and you know, you just kind of let it slide, and it's just like okay, he gave up a couple bad goals on to the next game, but. This is now, you know, over the course of the whole season that we're seeing this from Hogberg and Pierre Dorian, he was on the radio today and said it himself, like he's basically giving him one more chance to see if he can find his game. And if he can't, then he's he's forced into making a decision and we'll probably see, you know, Gustafson or Decord come up and be the backup this year and, and so long with uh, Marcus Hogberg. Yeah, which is unfortunate because he played so well, like at the back half of the season that it doesn't seem like the same goalie that we watched finish up the year last year, and it's so disappointing. Mm -hmm. But it's also, you know, I think maybe the pressure is getting to him a little bit of knowing that, like, hey, I'm not going to be here next year. Yeah. Like, it's all the other things inside of his head being like, I'm not going to be here next year. I don't know. Like, there is no chance Ottawa keeps Hogberg in Ottawa. I don't, I don't see it. What about the, the no crowd? I mean, do you think that plays in 
being a goalie, just just playing in the silence. Oh, 100%. Because you're hearing too much. Like, you're thinking too much. You know, Hogberg, like, and I think this is the thing. I think that you saw Hogberg calm down in the game against Edmonton where it was 4-2. My, in my personal opinion, I think we should have continued with Hogberg because he kind of settled down. He does not seem like a goaltender that can come in as a backup. He needs to play consistently. And unfortunately, there are just goaltenders like that. If he were to play consistently, you know, four or five, six games without the crowd noise, I think he would be fine. But I do think that there is definitely a difference when it comes to being a goaltender. Because realistically, if you look across the board, all goaltenders have struggled. Hmm. You know, especially Vancouver. Both Demko and Holtby have struggled. Markstrom has struggled a little bit this year. Mm -hmm. Hellebuck has struggled a little bit this year. Even Price has struggled. So this isn't just like a Hogberg situation. I think there's more to it than it being just him. I think the no crowd noise is a valid point, and I'm glad you brought it up because it makes a lot of sense. You Uh, you hear things differently. That's what I'm wondering. When you look at goaltending across the board, like you said, it is a little bit lower than we're used to seeing, and goals are going in that we're not used to seeing going in. So you're just wondering if, you know, if the silence or, you know, the simulated crowd noise, whatever it is, they just have more time to get in their own heads. I I don't know. You know, maybe we're pulling it at straws here, but, uh, but at the same time, you're wondering where the heck is Hogberg from last season and why does he look so much different this season? Hey, he needs to go back to the 35 and we'll be fine. So moving on from my bad, it's Mm -hmm. the power play. Yeah. I mean, it goes into the lack of finish, so you can lump it all in. But the lack of finish, they could drive the play, which has been great to see, but their lack of finish has been bad. You know, scoring four goals in three games, no matter how bad your goaltending has been, you know, you've only really been outscored by two each. Like, you got to think it was, what, 3-1 against Montreal, 3-1 against Edmonton, and then 3-2 against Edmonton. Like, mm-hmm. And two of those goals were empty nets, so realistically... Yeah, they're one-goal games. Yeah. Yeah. So as much as Hogberg or Murray have struggled, you can't lose these games. It's not like you're being you're losing 5-4. Like, it's not the game, the first game against Edmonton where you lost 8-5, and you can make an argument that, okay, if we had a couple of extra saves by either goaltender, we actually win that game. Hmm. So for me, it's just the lack of finish and the lack of finish on the power play. There you go. And uh, yeah, well, I saved my ugly for the offense. So <laughs> uh, just touching on all of the same things that uh, that you touched on there, whether it be the power play or five on five play. Um, one thing I noticed over the course of this season is that the Senators are not generating enough odd man rush opportunities. So um, to me, that means they're probably playing a little bit tight and they're playing a little bit safe in the neutral zone. Um, because they're also not surrendering, like you're not watching a game, you're not seeing the opposing team or the Senators have two-on-ones, three-on-ones, breakaways. And of course, as soon as I tweeted that out, Evgeny Dadnov scored a breakaway goal. Um, so I'm like, okay, yeah, of course, just after I tweet something out, it's going to make me look stupid. But over the the whole sample size, the, the course of the regular season, I only remember a couple of breakaways. Like, Connor Brown's had probably the most of anybody that I can remember on the Senators, and he hasn't finished any. But uh, but but they haven't had odd man rush opportunities. And to me, I think the offense and the defense combined, they're playing not to lose instead of playing to win. So, I mean, they were getting blown out at the start of the season, and it probably made them tighten up a little bit around their goaltending. 
So as a result, they're just not scoring goals now. So they're going to have to start playing a little more loose again and see what they can get offensively. I think they'll come with confidence in Murray and Hogberg. If you can, and like I said, they've all have a correlation. If you don't trust your goaltender to make the save, you're going to play more conservative. And then if you're a goaltender who doesn't trust your forwards or your defense to make the proper play, you're going to cheat a little bit more. So, you know, both of them play off each other. We've had the saves in Murray. Murray has played really well his last couple of starts. I think if he can continue that uh, against Winnipeg tomorrow, we'll see the game open up a little bit. We'll see the team take a little bit more chance because they'll feel confident that, hey, okay, if there is a two-on-one, Murray can make the save, and then Murray can look at his defense and be like, okay, if there is a two-on-one, they'll make the proper play. So it's just it's that give-or-take situation. You know, we saw it basically a giveaway that led to an on-man rush was the game-winning goal, uh, I believe, in, uh, for, for the first game against Edmonton with Ennis. And then we had a bad defensive play in front of Murray for the game-winning goal for Anderson in Montreal. So it's just a matter of being able to clean up our defensive mis- mistakes, but also being able to play a, a fast offensive game. Yeah, just trying to play that transition game. And for me, the ugly, honestly, is the lack of physicality. Yeah. You know, there's not many hits. The The board work has been relatively weak. It seemed to be getting out-muscled uh, by, by the other teams. It's just been kind of disappointing. Kachuk has been leading the way, but I haven't seen it enough from everyone else to really be impressed I think if we were a little bit more physical, we'd probably be in a better situation. But yeah, for me, it's the uh, the physicality for me is the the ugly part so far of the last two games. There you go, and that's that's the team identity, really. So I mean, if this team's going to be successful at all, it's because they're going to outwork the other team and they're going to outmuscle the other team. I mean, you look at the genetic makeup of of this lineup, and you've got bruisers all around. But if you're not using that, then they're just players that are having trouble keeping pace with, with the rest of the team. So, I mean, those guys that are in the lineup, they have to be in the lineup doing what they're in the lineup to do. Yeah. So hopefully we see a changing guard with that mentality come Thursday night at eight o'clock when we take on the Winnipeg Jets. And we'll, we'll get to that. We're going to take a quick break there. You'll have a quick commercial break here from the Habs lately guys, Corey and Mason, as much as I hate having, this promo on our show right now. Uh, you know, we got to do what we got to do. Uh, so we'll take a quick break. We'll be back. And when we're back, we'll have the Winnipeg preview and kind of say what we're looking for in the last 20 minutes of the show. Thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we'll be right back. Uh, you know what? I'm just I, so I, heated because of what, what you're telling me, because I, I do not want to live in a world, <laughs> in a world where a craft dinner is the fucking substitute to good macaroni. You're putting powder. No, no, no. Mac- macaroni, as you call it, is a substitute for candy. Oh, my God. Go to go to Italy. If you ask... open some fucking no, 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 crap no, no, no. dinner. No, 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 no. If you ask any Canadian, would they rather have macaroni or KD, they will tell you KD is the best it is superior it is the fucking national treasure and it is the greatest dish in canada 
I'm Mason Dixon, a Habs fan stuck in Leafs country, with my co-host Corey, a southern beauty trapped deep in the bayous of Louisiana. With over 2,500 kilometers of separation, we still managed to come together to give you Habs Nightly, your hub for Habs content. While I don't know what a kilometer is, I do know Habs hockey. Don't let the 10-year age gap or distance fool you. We bleed Blue Blanc every week, and we're known to serve up hot takes along with our unique charm. Join us every Monday and Thursday for Hockey Talk, Ref Rage, and your daily dose of Southern ignorance. Only on the Hockey Podcast Network. Katie is the superior macaroni and cheese. Get the fuck out of here. You put Um, ketchup on your fucking macaroni, you nasty kid? Yes, I fucking do. This has been Habs Nightly. You guys have a great night. And we are back. And so I actually, ha- I, I kind of just inserted the promo into our last episode. I didn't actually listen to it. <laughs> um, for for some background on that promo, there we, we're in a, we have a Slack group chat for all the guys in the network, all the guys and the girls in the network. And some, this was like, this happened probably a couple of months ago. We had a huge discussion between craft dinner in Canada and macaroni and cheese in the u.s and and that's and it started between these two and i chimed in being like macaroni is a noodle because it is like if you literally look at macaroni you just get the little macaroni noodle mm-hmm. it's called macaroni art for a reason not macaroni and cheese art so that became an entire thing of craft dinner versus macaroni and cheese and i i'm kind of surprised they put it in uh into <laughs> that i'm not gonna lie made me laugh and honestly, though, great guys. I worked with uh, Bayou uh, when we were covering the Devils last year for the network, uh, helping out. Super nice guy. Same with Mason. Again, stuck in Leaf Country like you, so you should know what that's about. Absolutely. So before we move on, what's better, mac and cheese or KD? See, okay, this is my personal preference. If I'm looking for something quick, easy to just cut, like a, a late-night snack or something that I just, I'm too lazy to actually cook, there you go. KD is fantastic. But there's nothing better than actual homemade hmm. mac, like homemade mac and cheese. When you have the time and like you want to actually make the time to make macaroni and cheese, it, it can be really good. Yeah. But overall, I'm going to take KD over mac and cheese purely for the fact that it's easier to make and less time consuming. It takes me like ten minutes to make mac and cheese. It takes me like an or KD it takes me like an hour yeah. to make mac and cheese. Yeah, no doubt. It's situational. There you go. You could argue for both sides. If someone makes me homemade mac and cheese, I'm obviously eating that over KD, but um, but I'll take KD if it's, like you said, if it's midnight and you wake up and you're hungry and you need a quick snack, like KD takes 10 minutes to make. So yeah. Okay. Here's a question though. All right. Ketchup or no ketchup? On the KD? Yeah. Or on mac and cheese in general? Oh, okay. So on KD, I'm okay with the ketchup. But on a homemade mac and cheese, like a real homemade mac and cheese, I'm not ruining that shit with ketchup. No, I want I want to taste everything that's in there. I want it, you know, I want it to be good. But uh, but on KD, I mean, it's just a quick snack. It's like, yeah, I'll throw some ketchup in there. So what's your maybe, ideal- maybe some hot sauce? Yeah. See, so what's your ideal cheese flavors for your mac and cheese? Homemade mac and cheese. What are like usually it's four cheeses. What are your yeah. four cheeses of choice? 
Oh man, I, I've got to have a Gouda in there, um, a ricotta. You got to have that ricotta, that dry ricotta cheese. Um, and then just a nice mozzarella on top and uh, maybe even some marble cheese in there. Just just get a little bit of cheddar and a little bit of matzah, like a little combo going on. What about you? See, for me, I so I, I've done it, like I've had it with a couple different cheeses. For me, I like having a double layer of like, um, like pepper jack cheese or like uh, matzah jack cheese. Hmm. Just add a little bit of kick to it. Yep. Just straight cheddar, fantastic to layer on the top. Find it, and then mozzarella in the middle. I only do three cheeses because I do the the crack like the the cracker jack mozzarella cheese double. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if I had to choose a fourth one, uh, honestly, Tex Mex. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. I I was bored, so I was like, so I'm haven't made craft like homemade mac and cheese in like a year. So I was bored. So I got like a bunch of different cheeses that I would usually never make. But the Tex-Mex cheese, for some reason, it melts. Like you get like the nacho cheese. The nacho like Tex-Mex cheese melts so good that if you want another top layer or like a a secondary layer, it works fantastic. That's probably a horrible sign that it melts so good like that. But it probably tastes really good. I mean, it's nacho cheese, right? Nacho cheese is supposed to melt you know, relatively evenly and like, it's supposed to be that really good melted, you know, deliciousness. So if it melts and melts easily or melts like nicely, not easily, nicely, Mm -hmm. that's always good. But mac and cheese aside, we have a, we have a two game set against Winnipeg this weekend, starting Thursday. We lost the first three or yeah. Yeah. First three, Mm -hmm. second meeting against them. Coming off some horrible losses that we discussed earlier, man, what do we? What should we expect from this team? Yeah, Winnipeg's playing pretty well. Um, they're in the mix anyway for right there with Montreal. Really, they're I think they're three points back of the Canadians uh, with the same amount of games played, and then they're behind Edmonton. But that's only because Edmonton's played like a handful more games, and I think they're only one point behind them. So. Um, so they're they're a team that's firing on all cylinders. Uh, they're going to debut a brand new player in Pierre Luc Dubois, a player that uh, the Senators, you know, would have loved to have, but not for the price that uh, that it took to get them. Um, so I expect them to uh, to come out really hot, but uh, but at the same time they're introducing a new player into their lineup. So uh, also a very important player in their lineup, and they lost Patrick Line and Jack Roslovic, who's playing really well right now in Columbus. Um, so, you know, I'm expecting a, a much closer matchup than we saw in that uh, original series when Ottawa couldn't get goaltending. Um, so I'm expecting it to be close. Ottawa needs a win here. So, uh, truthfully it, it's going to pay off. I mean, you look at their five on five numbers and, and just the, the law of averages will tell you that Ottawa is going to get some puck luck. They're going to get some puck luck and, and it's going to go their way. So, I, I really do think they're due for a breakout a little bit. I think Ottawa's uh, is going to win a game uh, against the Jets. Yeah, I mean they uh, the Jets lost their their first game with Pierre Luc Dubois against Calgary when they were Calgary was wearing those beautiful blasty reverse retros again. I didn't even know he played yet. I thought he was yeah, he, debuting against Ottawa. No, he debuted against Calgary on Tuesday. Oh, jeez, I'm behind. <laughs> hey, you know what though? It's fine because he didn't show up. He was like. I think he had like three, like two shots. He was minus one, had zero points, so it's fine. 
like Torts would have benched him, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, no, he he was basically a non-factor in that game. So technically, you're not wrong. This should be a huge new debut, maybe against a lesser opponent instead of Calgary. But honestly, I'm hoping for good things. I think, you know, the way Ottawa's projecting, I want to see what our lines up are like tomorrow because I don't think we had practice today on Wednesday. I don't think there was an actual skate. I might be mistaken. No. I didn't see anything. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I'm interested to see what our lines are going to be like tomorrow during morning skate. But outside of that, like, I just want hard, I want good hockey. I don't mm-hmm. care if we lose. I don't care if we allow in like a fluky goal or two, but I don't want to watch us get dominated game in and game out. I'd rather us, you know, work hard. And I know it sounds cliche, work hard, play hard, generate chances. If a goal out goalie, you know, just makes the saves and we lose because the goaltender played great. We tip our hat to the goaltender and we move on and we, you know, we accept the fact that, hey, we didn't lose this game. We just got beat. Like, it's just that simple. It happens. Yeah. It's happened the last three games. Exactly. Th- those are easy losses to swallow, like, especially as a Sens fan right now. Um, you know, we're, we're not necessarily playing for wins. So um, when you lose a game 3-2 or 2-1 or whatever the score has been, it, it's been a close game. And for the most part, Ottawa has been involved in those games and had every chance to win those games. So it's much easier losing those kind of games than the seven ones and the, you know, whatever we were getting at the start of the year. So uh, I'm right with you there. I think we just need to hang around and be in the game and be involved physically. Uh, I want to see a bounce back from Stutzla and Norris, a couple of players that need to bounce back. Uh, I'd like to see that happen against the Jets. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I think they'll get actual, like, top six minutes hopefully. And if so, I mean, that'll work out in our favor. If not, they're going to probably moved on uh, at least for sit them in a game. It's unfortunate, but I would not be surprised if Norris sits tomorrow and we see Pekka or, or Paquette drawn to the lineup and they move Stutzla to the center. I know, you know, if they were going to play someone, they may as well play Brown. So we probably shouldn't see any lineup changes, honestly, but I also wouldn't be upset if they do do something like that. Yeah, I could see something happening where Pekka draws in. I mean, the most likely scenario is probably Alex Galchenyuk coming out. Um, just because he's been the guy that comes out. Not because he's not playing well. I think he's playing fine. But um, but I could see him coming out and maybe Michael Pekka getting a shot. Yeah. Ma- is it Matthew Pekka? I think it's Matthew Pekka, yeah. His, yeah, it's not his dad either. <laughs> I know I said before it was his dad that Michael Pekka, but uh, former player, and I always do that, but it's Matthew Pekka. <laughs> well, with a last name like Pekka, it's not like a Sutter, right? Where you kind of understand that that's a, like who, like how many people in the, in the last like 20 years or 30 years have had the, the last name Pekka in the league? Mm-hmm. You would think that there is some kind of connect, like family connection between the two, but and no. that's just not the case. <laughs> no, not at all. But uh, but unfortunately, I screw up his name every single time it comes up. So Matthew Pekka, I'll have to you know and plant that in my brain somewhere. Hey, you know what? At least you're not a team who went out and signed twins <laughs> who have the same initial for both, like to start their both names, and they play the same position. Like they could have switched jerseys in their career at some point, and we would have not even known. Like we, so I know you're not much of a football guy, but as everyone here knows, 
I have a football podcast. Uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders actually signed twin brothers from Ma- like who are born in Manitoba. Justin and Jordan play the same position, and they again just first initial same. It's just like I feel bad for any play-by-play announcer who is dealing with that and having to remember. Okay, certain number is like this brother and whatnot. I thought you were talking about the Sedin twins there for a second. That's why I said they literally could have switched jerseys and like for half their career and no one would have even known. And they've credited Daniel with Henrik's points and Henrik with Daniel. Po- Daniel's oh yeah. Points. That's true too. That's, that's true who too. I thought you were talking about, but yeah, no. So a, a football story there. Yeah. Honestly, I totally forgot about the Sedins. They haven't been in the league in like the last three years. I kind of just forgot about them. So <laughs> like the whole like out of sight, out of mind. It's still yeah. kind of crazy that they live in Vancouver. Yeah, they just stayed there, right? Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, Alf, both Alfredsons live in Ottawa, so not that crazy. But yeah, it's a nice enough city. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not Winnipeg. <laughs> I mean, Winter I, I don't think any, yeah, I don't think any Winnipeg Jets player is going to retire and then be like, yeah, I think I'm going to, you know, hey, stay in Winnipeg. <laughs> I, I've talked to a couple, again, another football story. I've talked to a couple of football players who are, who play for Winnipeg that live in Winnipeg and work in Winnipeg during the offseason. So I don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be. Except the CFL football players are not making multiple million dollars like NHL players. True, but it's still saying something hey, that this these players are willing to you know live there year-round and make their families home there. It, it can't be that bad, right? Like, you know, it has to be something there. Yeah, that's true. It It's probably not as bad as I'm making it sound, but... It's definitely not um, a place that you would want to live if you win the lottery. And uh, NHL players have enough salary that it, it's like they win the lottery. So, you know, if I win a lottery, I'm not like, hey, uh, uh, we're moving to Winnipeg. <laughs> you know? Hey, I mean, to be fair, though, Bobby Ryan lived on a ranch in the middle of nowhere and had, like, no cell service for, like, six months of the year. So, like, hey, he's the guy that like, would have made it like Winnipeg if it wasn't so cold. That's true. To each their own. But he was also in really, really warm weather. <laughs> true. And I mean, you know, we're not Alberta, though. Fucking minus 50 the other week. Mm-hmm. That would have been horrible. I would have hated that. Man, where I live right now, we are getting dumped on. Like, we've had snowstorm after... It, every day has been a snowstorm. And we have, like, 50 feet of snow. It's just... It's it's insane. Yeah, we haven't had that. It hasn't been overly cold. I think yesterday uh, was, like, minus 8. Like, it was super nice out. Like, not overly snowy, relatively warm. I was able to walk to work. Yeah, I'm I'm getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to, like, clean my car off the 20 feet of snow that's accumulated, somehow accumulated overnight. And it's it's been a brutal week that way. Oh, that's rough. Uh, and, hey, you know, and this sucks, though. None of the Canadian teams get to escape the Canadian winter and go down to California for – you know, to, or California in the desert for two weeks at a time. No, but at least, I mean, when you look at the COVID stuff going on everywhere beyond the North Division, um, you know, everywhere is struggling except for the Canadian Division. So uh, in a way, it's kind of nice for the Canadian players that uh, they don't have to worry about it to, to a degree um, as much as the American teams do. Yeah, I mean, it looks like we're, we're kind of running our own league up here with, with how little... COVID has really affected us. I think we've only had one player across all seven teams, and that was only Dubois because he was traded. Yeah, we we might like 
you know, if, if the league has to shut down, they might just say, you know what, we'll just keep the North Division and we'll run the whole season based, <laughs> and then we make the playoffs. <laughs> That's the only chance the Ottawa Senators Screw have. It. The the, to the make winner the of the North Division gets a bye. <laughs> you play, you know, you have the six teams. You can make it work. It's fine. Yep. We're playing thing, for the Stanley Cup with uh, with seven teams in the league. Hey, it would be like 1967. The Leafs might actually have a chance of winning it this time. No, they still they still <laughs> will not win. <laughs> no, imagine how much that would suck for the Leafs. First time in like you have six teams to beat, and you still Go, lose. <laughs> yeah, freaking like Calgary or Winnipeg wins it. I would laugh. No, no Ottawa wins it. <laughs> Assuming like the, okay, imagine six, seven teams, six teams make the playoffs. And like uh, Winnipeg wins it. If Winnipeg wins the cup, like is the next Canadian team to win the cup, I'm gonna lose my absolute mind. That will not count. I mean, they can't play for the cup. There's no way. That that wouldn't count as a Stanley Cup. They could play for something else. Like they'll make some kind of North Division trophy and they could play for that. It'd be funny though, Paul Maurice, former Leafs coach, winning a cup before the Leafs do. I'm I I think it's funny. I mean, I'd be all for any of the teams winning except for the Leafs. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, them in Montreal in my little Yeah, true, on. true. <laughs> but, I mean, hey, to fully get to ring uh, – well, he already has a ring, so it doesn't actually matter. Yeah, forget Montreal. We don't want them to win either. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, Calgary – Calgary or Edmonton would be my pick. Yeah, just someone else that isn't close to us. Yeah, don't need to hear from the media. Uh, but before we wrap up – Bell is in a lot of hot water. They closed down yeah. TSN 1040. I don't even remember all their names. TSN, yeah. Vancouver, Winnipeg, the, Hamilton. Yeah, Hamilton, Winnipeg. They are in so much hot water from like everyone. Uh, Isha, who who's one of the co-founders of the Putt Network, and he's the uh, one of the hosts on uh, the Soda Pod covering the wild. He works for TSN 1040 in Vancouver. So like that was know. a personal hit. We have a lot of guys who work in the radio industry, part of the network. Bell is in a lot of hot water for Canadians. $122 million in subsidies just to lay off like over almost 500 people. As they should be. Like This is a, a billion-dollar company. It's one of the richest companies in Canada. And what they did is disgusting. Like And how they did it, how they went about, about doing it, just out of nowhere, just we're taking out entire stations and and making a comedy network instead. Like it's just ridiculous. And and right after the bell, let's talk thing, when they're getting all this exposure for their company, I thought it was, uh, it was distasteful. It was disgusting. Um, You know, we lost Brent Wallace. Um, We lost so many people lost their jobs over this and it's, uh, it's not fair. I mean, someone like Brent Wallace He's worked for the company for what, like twenty three years or something. Yeah, this was his twenty third season. And you, yeah. you, my issue is you do it during the friggin' season. I don't care that it's your physical year. You do not do this during a season. I I don't see where they where they get off doing this at all. It just it doesn't make sense to me. Um, I don't know if the numbers are are that low. Like viewership is that low on sports radio for them to be cutting like this. It just, it doesn't talking, make sense. I've talked to people who, you know, again, this is a lot of football related because I'm, you know, the 13th man is actually now deep starting to get deeply rooted in the CFL community. Talking to people in Hamilton, that the, the TSN radio station was one of the most listened to radio stations in the Hamilton area. It was the heart of Hamilton sports. 
And for it to just be ripped away like that is ridiculous. Yeah, it, it makes me want to boycott Bell. And I mean, I live in an area where we have no choice. Like I have Bell and nothing else to choose from. So, you know, for network, for, you know, cell phone service, for TV service, I have to be with Bell for everything. Uh, but it makes me want to find an alternative because, you know, that's how mad and disgusted I am with Bell. Yeah, and it makes me and it makes me wonder what else they're gonna do. Like I, I would assume that this isn't the end of it. Like, who knows what happens on you know on the TV side of things? How many more people are cut? The fact that they cut like Dan from Jay and Dan when they got yeah. ripped from letting them go to Fox and their viewership took a plunge. Like there, if I remember correctly, every year that Jay and Dan were gone, viewership went down on TSN. Yeah, big time. They they lost a lot of talent. It makes you wonder if Ian Mendez had like a tip. He just knew that uh, you know something was going wrong there with Bell and uh, dipped out and quickly uh, fired up the Athletic. Even though Ottawa got to keep their station, one of the few TSN stations that got to stick around, um, probably because there's no competition at all in Ottawa. So uh, still, you know, it makes you wonder what's going on at Bell and who's running things and why they're doing this. Shareholders. But, you know, this is a discussion we can continue for the next, like, half hour. Uh, but, you know, we're the Sens Hour for a reason. Uh, <laughs> thank, thank you all for joining in today's episode. Uh, follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Sens Hour Podcast. Uh, follow, uh, make sure that, you know, check us out, uh, share the episodes, like us, subscribe to us. Uh, and, yeah, it's been a pleasure for this episode. We'll be back next week or later on this week for another live show, recapping the Winnipeg series, getting you ready for games two, three, or three, four, and five against Toronto. Uh, so we will probably be back Saturday or Sunday at some point. Stay safe out there. Enjoy the hockey. We will catch you back later. Follow myself, Shannon score Ryan 97, Derek at DLeo 75. Stay safe and we'll catch you later. <laughs>